Welcome to Paradise in the Pines, a podcast about the people, places, and stories that make this the home of American golf. Brought to you by the Pinehurst Southern Pines Aberdeen Area Convention and Visitors Bureau. Hello again, everybody. I'm Phil Wurz, President and CEO of the Pinehurst Southern Pines Aberdeen Area Convention and Visitors Bureau, and we are honored today to be joined by one of the most renowned golf writers in the United States, if not the world. He is Ron Green Jr. Uh, Ron, thanks for making the drive from Charlotte to come in Paradise in the Pines. It is never a bad drive coming from Charlotte down here. Always I was happy to make it. I asked you, what else did you come down for? You're playing golf. You said you came down just to do the podcast. Come on now. I might wander around a couple, make a couple stops while I'm down here, but uh, your weather's beautiful and... Uh, yeah, I just I just like being here. There's a, it it feels different down here. It's a cool vibe, isn't it? It really is. You got to hit the uh, the barbecue uh, at Piner's Brewing, maybe. That's a good idea. <laughs> I might do that. I might do that. In all your travels, you recently uh, traveled to the Masters. Um, you know, kind of a different Masters, uh, just because you had the the whole live thing going on. But John Rahm, you know, he kind of reminds me of Russell Crowe and Gladiator, the Spaniard, because uh, when he gets a hold of something. Like he did in the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. I mean, he he just does not let it go. How how significant was that win for John Rahm? Well, I mean, hugely significant. I think that's not going to be the end of him. He's got a U.S. Open now. He's got a Masters. Yeah. I mean, I think he is. He, he's just made for big events. I think I, he's got a big game. He can do about anything. He's he's not afraid of the moment, uh, and he's sort of really grown into. Uh, this presence out there. I mean, he is, he's a big player. And I think, you know, just sort of getting, we're starting to get the full John Rom now. I think, uh, you know, he's, from our perspective in the media, he's a tremendous interview. It's remarkable to think that 10 or 12 years ago, he came to college here, couldn't speak right. English. Now you listen to him and uh, he speaks it better than I do. And he, <laughs> he's very thoughtful. He has a, you know, he'll share his opinions. Uh, he stops and thinks about questions when you ask him, and uh, I, I'm just really, really impressed with him. I'm impressed with his sense of history. I mean, he really understands, you know, the game where where it was, where it is, and where it's going to go, and his place in it. I, I think that's important too, for sure. And uh, I think he, yeah, he does. He sees the big picture. Uh, you know, he he's, he can lock into the moment, but but he appreciates uh, what's come before and what things mean. Just listen to him talk after the Masters about uh, the respect he will pay to the green jacket. Obviously, he's sort of given some guidelines on what you do and don't do, but mm-hmm. you could tell what it meant to him and, and to be part of that. And uh, I can only imagine the feeling that must be to know you're going to be able to be at that champion's dinner on those Tuesday nights right. into the future. And uh, I think probably hosting that first one might be a little unnerving, <laughs> but uh, you know, serve him enough wine and uh, it'll go easy. I think, and you talk about how he's changed. I mean, he couldn't even speak English when he first came here. And I think, too, because a few years ago, he was pretty fiery. I mean, he would lose his temper on a regular basis. How much have you seen him, his demeanor change and, and to be more of a mature type golfer? Yeah, I think there's a good bit of that. I think part of what makes him who he is is that fire and that passion. And I think you it's one of those, you'd see it sort of like a solar flare, just bang, right. there it was, and it would go away. I think he's refine that a little bit it's still there uh and there's still times when uh i think you, you can see the the frustration or irritation or whatever you want to call it but i think he's internalized it more and uh and and found a better way to use it i think he is uh you know 
I, I think he's one of those names now when he gets on a leaderboard and, and whether it's at Oak Hill for the PGA or whatever, I mean, he's he's the one that makes other players turn their heads now. How concerned were you and maybe some of the other writers in the media room when Phil Mickelson shoots a 65, Brooks Kepka had a chance to win, Patrick Reed, all these live guys. I mean, there was a chance a live player was going to win this Masters. Was there a concern? Was there was like, hey, how am I going to write this story? No, I think we're always looking for material. Right. And there's plenty of material right. there. <clears throat> I thought it was, uh, you know, the live thing was such a big deal leading into it. <clears throat> such a storyline. And I kind of forgot about it as the tournament unfolded. Then toward the end, where they end up three of the top, there were live guys in three yeah. of the top four spots. Mickelson, now, that uh, would, Kepka, and Patrick Reed. Yeah, I mean, that became a big thing. I, I think partly overshadowed because who saw Phil Mickelson doing what he did? Yeah. I mean, there was no reason other than whatever that magic switch that Phil finds when he comes down Magnolia Lane to expect him to do what he did. Uh, even Brooks Kepka, given the fact he hadn't played that well, but he'd started to show the signs. So I, I thought that just added a layer to it. Now, had they won, would it be different? I don't know. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I think if I'm on the live side of things, be very happy and ecstatic about the way, you know, for all those of us, me included, question what the competition means over there, mm -hmm. how much it really matters to the players. Uh, you know, that was a nice positive referendum for them. Now the next one will come at the PGA Championship where right. a lot of live guys will be there. Uh, you know, Augusta's sort of, it's its own unique creature over there. Yeah. And players know how to play. They, they, they go there and it just... Certain players are going to play their play well there every year. It seems like. I mean, Jordan Spieth goes in mm -hmm. there and gets it. Phil does. Uh, so I think the PGA Championship will be interesting to see. But I thought, I mean, it was a really, it was a different Masters. I mean, the weather didn't help us, but right. uh, you know, then with the Tiger stuff and all that, uh, it's it's just remarkable what that tournament does and the way it finds stories and creates it really uh, does narratives. Talking about stories, I mean. Pre-Masters, everybody was talking about Rory McIlroy, the career Grand Slam. Didn't even make the cut. I mean, is does Augusta live rent-free in Rory's head? I mean, it's it seems like it is. He, I think he practiced, what, 90, 91 holes. Took a different approach maybe this year in advance of that. But, I mean, is he ever going to win the Masters? I mean, or is it just in his head? I thought this was a really, really good chance for him to win it. Uh, and then, you know... It, I told somebody he didn't even flame out because he never, <clears throat> never found a spark. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, I thought it was crazy. I mean, I, I appreciate having come from a TV background that they wanted to talk to players during the round. When he's talking during the round, I think it was on the ninth hole, had 119 in and hits it not even up to the top ridge where the flag was in the back that day and it rolled back 45 feet. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're not even close to making the cut. And he's, he's doing live TV. So I, I thought that was kind of odd. Yeah, they talked to those guys early about it, and they all signed off. I talked to Justin Thomas, uh, who did it, and then proceeded, I think, to bogey the last four holes yeah. to miss the cut. And he said that, you know, talking to them had nothing to do hmm. with it. He goes, you know, I was fine with it. I uh, think Max Homa did as well. Yeah, Max Homa. I mean, he's really good. at. I love that what they're doing. Uh, hmm. I'll be interested to hear what Rory says. You know, he took the time off, skipped Harbor Town uh, when he was – to play there so he's coming to charlotte next week for the wells fargo and there will be a lot of questions like okay yeah you're the architect of this new system with the mandated designated tournament things and you're the first one to you know take what was for him a three million dollar hit uh why'd you do it I, and i think he just 
I think just needed the mental break. I think he'd played a lot of golf. He's been out front so much. And the Augusta thing, as much as you want to try to minimize it or, minimize it or embrace it or whatever, you know, by the time he teed off, I think he was six shots behind before he even hit his first tee shot. Yeah. And suddenly I think he goes out and bogeys the first hole. You're playing from behind like, oh, no, here we go again. And it just, you know, when it got away, it just fully got away. I had He's still, I think, five years younger than Ben Hogan was when he won his first huh. Masters. So okay. he's still he's got time, and three years younger than Phil. So he's still got time, but he's building up a lot of baggage there. Rom double boogied the first hole and went on to win the Masters. Yeah. So let, let's look at these guys. Rory needs to win the Masters to win the Career Grand Slam. Jordan Spieth needs to win the PGA Championship to do the same. Rom is two away. He's got two tough ones down already. Masters, yeah. U.S. Open. Who wins the Career Grand, grand Slam first? Rory, Jordan. Or Ron? Well, since Jordan has the next chance, I'll say Jordan. Uh, <laughs> right. and, you know, he's playing pretty well. I mean, he's been yeah. really good, had a chance there. Obviously, could have won at Hilton Head. Uh, right. You know, I don't know that Oak Hill, I mean, the last two PGAs at Oak Hill, they've given us Sean McKeel and Jason Duffner. Right. So you might be looking for an outlier there. But, uh, you know, I think Spieth's got a chance. I mean, I just look at Rory, and I can see Rory walking around in a green jacket under the big tree up there years from now being one of those guys, but I thought the same thing about Greg Norman and about Davis yeah. Love and some others who never got it. So, uh, you know, I don't think Phil's going to win a U.S. Open. I mean, he's he's come close a lot of times, uh, but I, I I think that one, um, who knows? I mean, they are playing on the edge of Hollywood this year. So, you <laughs> It'd know, be a hell of a script. A, after Augusta, what if he finishes second of Augusta, at Augusta and then goes and wins the U.S. Open at L.A.? Now, that would... Wow. That would that might be a little too big to write there. <laughs> right. Uh, that's where you go call one of those screenwriters, say, come on over here and take care of this for me. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I'm interested to see how Jordan does because his, you know, Rory's bills up for eight months and yeah. has all that time. And Jordan sort of just comes quietly and... Uh, if he gets into it on the weekend, it, it won't be quiet anymore. He's playing the Wells Fargo, I'm, I'm sure, right? Uh, he was uncertain. You know, okay. they they can take one designated tournament. I know off. he played nine <clears throat> out of ten weeks or nine out of eleven weeks, something like that. Yeah, when he left <clears throat> when he left Hilton Head, he said he thought he was playing Charlotte, but you know he's committed to playing the Nelson and the Colonial in there in Texas, and yeah. there's a memorial and the PGA, so. It could be five in a row for him, and he's pretty reluctant to do that. But he was leaning toward Charlotte last he, you know, last anybody saw him before. They went off on another spring break with the boys and now the girls down there. Right. Well, you mentioned the PGA Championship. Let's talk about that a little bit at Oak Hill Country Club in Rochester, New York. You mentioned Duffner and Sean McKeel had won. Jack won the other PGA Championship in 1980. And then U.S. Open, Curtis Strange won. Was that his first or second? Um, that was his that was 1989. second. It was his second. That's right. He won 88-89. Lee Trevino won it in 68 and Kerry Middlecoff in 1956. So the seventh major championship at Oak Hill, uh, it lengthened over the years from the early days. It was 6,900 yards, now 7,102. I think it's still playing that same yardage. What what can we expect? I mean, we don't see Oak Hill too often. What, what can we expect of that golf course? <clears throat> what I remember from the two I've been to is just like a classic big Northeastern golf course, mm-hmm. you know, I, I remember some. I remember Sean McKeel hitting that seven iron in there, and just sort of like right. disbelief watching that. Uh, you know, I just think you just got to keep it between tree lines. It's just just hard. It asks sort of the the major championship questions, and uh, you know, you. I don't know. I, I don't have any sense of what kind of scores you're going to have to shoot up there, but uh, you know, I, I think pars are 
generally pretty good scores in major championships. Yeah. So the PGAs tend to let you score a little bit more than mm-hmm. some others. Uh, so I, you know, I don't really, I don't have a good feel because it's sort of, you don't go there often enough, but, uh, you know, Lee Trevino and Curtis Strange win and their majors yeah. up there. That's pretty, that, that speaks to the pedigree. Mm-hmm. Mentioned the PGA. Um, the PGA of America is going to bestow you with the Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, you worked so many years and, and certainly deserving honor. Your father uh, covered 60 masters. Uh, you're the first father-son duo to to win that Lifetime Achievement Award. What does that mean to you? Oh, it's, uh, I mean, I was shocked when, when I got the call back in December about it. Uh, you know, I mean, flattered uh, just to be considered in the group that, I mean, you read from the Furman Bishers and the Dave Kindreds and the, uh, you know, Tim Roseforts and all the people who've won it before me. And I mean, I want to think I'm not old enough for a lifetime <laughs> achievement award, but evidently I am. And, uh, so yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it just mean, means so much. I remember what it meant. I guess it was 15, 18 years ago when my dad won. Mm. And uh, he won in 06. Yeah. yeah, And it just, you know, was such a special thing. And after I told him that I'd gotten this, he told me a story. He said when he won, Furman Bisher told him, he said, that's like winning the World Series for what we do. So, yeah, uh, it's really, really nice. And the reaction and response from people is, uh, you know, I'm continuing to get it. And it really, uh, it's really something special. What was it like growing up with, with Ron Sr.? I mean, obviously, writer, prolific writer. You saw a lot. I'm obviously inspired by him. Um, how did he make you become the man you are and the writer you are today? Well, I mean, just following him around, watching and listening to stories. I mean, growing up in Charlotte, <clears throat> it was a very different Charlotte than what Charlotte is now. I mean, we had minor league, double-A baseball. Mm. I mean, I'm old enough to remember seeing Reggie Jackson play minor league baseball really? <laughs> for Birmingham. Wow. Uh, so maybe I do, I do qualify for that lifetime achievement. <laughs> you know, we had NASCAR wasn't even a big thing. We had yeah. minor league hockey. We had double A baseball and the arena was the independence uh, yeah, arena. It's still there. Yeah. And, uh, I was as a kid in what I would call junior high, go down there and usher, you know, and I remember ushering for huh. all sorts, you know, I mean, Glenn Campbell shows and <laughs> the car. I remember watching the carpenters of all people doing a sound check early. And so way back, but just being around, listening to my dad tell stories, he would take me to the baseball games. He also did the public address announcing because he worked for the huh. afternoon paper. And I'd go to the ballpark probably 25, 30 nights a year and sit in the press box, tiny little thing that it was. And, you know, we'd go to college football games on Saturday with him. He'd ride up there and cover a game at Duke or North Carolina or wherever. And we'd just be around and listening and listening to golf stories and playing some golf as a kid. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. And, I had a brief idea I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon, but then <laughs> really? I realized the yeah. academic, uh, forget being the doctor, just right. getting there. I'm like, <laughs> I got to take this, this is no, I'll just be a sports writer. So, uh, you know, and I just sort of fell into it and kept going and was around it and felt comfortable there and gotten to do a lot of really, really cool things through the years. So you went to, uh, UNC, um, UNC Charlotte, um, Started, started started there and then transferred to Carolina to North Carolina. I was actually at UNC Charlotte the year the 49ers and Cedric Maxwell went to the yeah. final four where North Carolina was. And I had already known I was going from one to the other that fall. And, uh, I remember my dad took me to a dinner on Friday night and coach Smith was there and he came over and asked me, he says, 
you know, what are you, how you feel about things right. this weekend? I'm like, well, I am coming to Carolina and I'd been to his basketball camp forever, but that was really cool at UNC Charlotte when they had that final four run. Yeah. They went to the championship of the NIT when it was a big deal back mm-hmm. then. And I remember I was the, working for the student newspaper. So we got to go everywhere and I spent 10 straight days in New York with the UNCC basketball team because you didn't expect they were going to make this whole run, but they played right. the whole tournament up yeah. there. Uh, that was cool. And then the next year's the final four and then off to North Carolina. And, uh, I was up, I worked in Chapel Hill afterward for about three or four years, went to Greenville, South Carolina for a while, then was at the Charlotte observer for 20 plus years. Well, let's go back to Chapel Hill. Cause you happen to go there at a pretty amazing time and covered the final four in 1982, where some guy named Michael Jordan made the shot to be Georgetown. Um, and, and all the other NBA greats that played on that team. What was it like to cover that team? Uh, I remember sitting in the old or the original Charlotte Coliseum when Michael played his first college game. They played Kansas there. And, uh, you know, you knew he was pretty good, but you didn't know that. Uh, but what he became, and I mean, you know, James Worthy was sort of the star. Yeah. But the whole backstory, because... Carolina had been, I think, to six Final Fours with Dean and had not won. Mm-hmm. And then Michael hits the shot in Georgetown and Freddie Brown throws the pass and all that. I still have, I don't save a lot of things, but I still have my notebook from that hmm. game. And we were able to, we were standing on the floor talking to Michael after the game near the shot. And uh, uh, I've still got my scrawled out notes there. And just, I mean, <laughs> that's cool. And in my phone, there's a picture from the next year of me sitting in the locker room with Michael. Um, I've seen that picture. Somebody said it looks like, um, Keith Partridge. If you knew the Partridge family, (laughs) my hair and all that, but it was really cool. And, and, you know, being around him then and, uh, covering him some through the NBA and all that. And, you know, seeing who he became, it's, um, it's, you know, that very good fortune. They're sort of like coming along at the same time as Tiger Woods. Yeah. You know, like the Masters, UNC and Duke always delivers, as Jay Billis likes to say, and many people say. Um, now that you've got John Shire and Hubert Davis, I mean, do you think we'll eventually see something of the likes of, you know, Dean Smith and, and Coach K? I mean, those are pretty, pretty. Uh, and Roy Williams too. I mean, Roy Williams. I mean, high yeah. praise for the for those amazing coaches, Hall of Fame coaches. I mean, that that our rivalry always delivers, and you know. Do you think Shire and, and Davis have it in him to go long runs at these universities and, and keep it going? I hope they do. I mean, because, I mean, it's so good and it's been so good for so many years. And I was fortunate to cover a lot of games between those teams. And and just, you know, it, it's sort of, it's a national game too. Yeah. The two times they play in a regular season. Uh, you know, transition. I mean, I think Duke's going to be very good next year. Um, North Carolina can only be better than it was, uh, I would think. So I don't know. I, I think the transitions are really different. It's interesting the way, you know, Roy goes and watches the games and mm-hmm. coach K watches them, but from an office and, yeah. you know, they actually have some hospitality thing. You can go watch the games with him, but he's not in the <laughs> arena, how they've gone about it. Uh, you know, there's such big brands that I think, I, I think they're going to be fine, but I, I don't know that, maintaining the height or the level that they had it for so long yeah. will be hard. But um, then again, I mean, they've done it for about 40 years, so it might just keep rolling along. I tell you what, I was at that last game, uh, Coach K's last home game. I tell you what, Carolina whipped them the last seven minutes of that game, and you could hear a pin drop in that place. I'd never been in Cameron Indoor where it had been that quiet 
Uh, I know as a Tar Heel fan, you were were you at that game or I was not. I was actually, uh, I think I was at Bay. Yeah, I was at Bay Hill. Okay, and I uh, was out with a friend watching it uh, at a restaurant. Yeah, and, uh, imagining if trying to figure out if I could hear my wife's screams of joy from <laughs> Charlotte all the way down to Orlando because yeah, I mean I didn't expect to see that happen that way, but uh, you know that just that's that rivalry. I mean, and it just uh, and then to beat them in the final four too. Uh, you know, I would not have yeah. expected to end that way because right. I mean, I can remember being in the building on campus at Duke the night they introduced Mike Krzyzewski and sort of the, hmm. the two questions were, how do you say it? And who is he? <laughs> right. And there was a time for two or three years, they wouldn't invite you over on Monday to the old golf course before they built the Washington Duke in hmm. to the pro shop there and come eat pizza with coach K on Mondays. Right. And uh, <laughs> wow. just, just trying to generate interest. Yeah. And then, Suddenly, suddenly it all took off from there. Yeah. Almost, I wouldn't say similar, but, you know, Dean Smith didn't get off to the best start right. either. You know, Coach, Coach K, and it speaks to Tom Butters and his faith in, in Coach K. You know, maybe if those guys were in today's world, you know, they may have never survived. And who knows where that rivalry would be. But, yeah. but they didn't, thank goodness. I mean, you know, there's a story about Coach K losing at the ACC tournament in Atlanta and everybody thinking this is the end. and They got blown out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what they end up at a Waffle House or something, and, <laughs> right. uh, thinking it was the end, and it turned out not to be. You know, I mean, so what is Hubert Davis two years in, and it didn't yeah. go so great this year? I mean, it's hard for fans to be patient. I think patience is even harder in today's world because mm. of social media and all that. But uh, you know, they need some time. Yeah. So let's go uh, to your current gig with uh, Global Golf Post. Jim Nugent's good friend uh, of the CVB and. And obviously your boss, uh, what's it like, uh, to write, you know, digitally versus, you know, journalism is journalism. So you're still writing stories. Uh, but talk about your contributions at global golf post. You've even write some content for us. So we yeah. appreciate that. Well, I appreciate having the opportunity. I mean, the writing part is about the same, uh, maybe a little more flexibility and deadlines than, uh, you know, I don't have any of those nine, 9 PM basketball right. games. We needed 1105 and <laughs> you look down at 1103. They got two minutes to go. You're like, I'm not going to make this. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, I have a lot of freedom. They've been great to me. And basically I cover the PGA tour, but other things beyond that. And I have a lot of flexibility in what I want to do and sort of can pick my schedule mm -hmm. within limits, um, make, come up with my own ideas. Um, you know, the last few years, golf has not run short of uh, yeah. subject matter. Right. Between live and, you know, the latest hot button, the, you know, the, the slow play thing bubbles up every two or three years and it's bubbled up again. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're right in the middle of major championship season. The the way they've changed with the designated tournaments and how the success of those so far. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a lot of good stuff. I, I really enjoy it. Uh, the players on, I mean, you probably don't get as much one-on-one -on -one time with players as you'd like. There's, there are a lot of, they're really easy to deal with. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of good people out there. And uh, so and I like the people to tour. So I, it's, you know, it's the old thing. It, it doesn't feel like work when you get up. Once in a while, sure. <clears throat> when you're sitting there and you got 850 words to fill, you're like, okay, it feels yeah. a little bit like work right now. It, it's funny. Like even when I was in, I got out of the media in 2002 and people were like, I covered NASCAR nationally for three years. And they'd say, well, what's this driver like? And I would say, you know, most of the drivers are great. Now, don't ask me who who's great to work with because they're all great. Ask me who who's not fun to work with. But I'm not going to ask you that question. But 
it's interesting when you can probably guess when, <laughs> <laughs> I hear, when, uh, when you, you have to build relationships. I mean, obviously you're dealing with these players, you see them at events all the time. So I think it's really cool. in some of the pieces I've seen about your lifetime achievement award that, you know, Davis love speaks highly of you. I'm sure many of other players do. What does that mean to you that players come out and say, you know, we love working with Rory even said, you know, some great things about you and your work and, you know, your style. Um, what does that mean to you when players of, of, you know, Hall of Fame caliber come out and say Ron Green Jr. is like, he's a great guy to work with. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the highest compliments you could get. I've known Davis since forever. I mean, my dad wrote about Davis's dad when his, mm. he was, uh, Davis's dad was the head pro at Charlotte Country Club for a while. And uh, so that connection. So when Davis came to North Carolina, we sort of made that connection. I've known him, you know, for, However many years, I mean, yeah. I can't believe he's that old. Cause if he's that old, <laughs> that makes I'm even older. So, and, and I remember, you know, when Rory shot 62 to win, whatever it was, a 2011 Wells Fargo or whatever it's called then, uh, I remember going into the observer office the next morning and people saying, who's this guy who won the tournament in Charlotte yesterday? I'm like, trust me, you're going to know who he is yeah. down the road. And you're going to remember, say, well, his first one was here. And, uh, you know, it was, I remember being in the locker room and he was calling his dad and, you know, this big thing had happened. And, uh, you know, he's, I mean, he's a blessing for us. He's just a tremendous person who sees the world. He sees, sees the whole world and understand he can see it from different angles and, uh, been very fortunate that, uh, yeah. got to be around him a good bit. And he's been very, uh, very helpful in a lot of things. We talked about the PGA Championship a little bit. As we record this, you're getting ready to fly out to Los Angeles to go to Media Day for the U.S. Open for this year at L.A. Country Club. Uh, give us a, a little snippet of what we can expect at LACC because we, we, you know, you, I don't know, can't even think of the last time it was there was an event there that was televised. And, and yeah, the Walker, what is it about? Yeah, the Walker Cup was there a few years ago. Okay, it's. I mean, I took a tour there. A, me, a member took me around. Uh, I mean, it is right in like. Wilshire Boulevard and Santa Monica Boulevard. And it's just, I mean, buildings all around it. And, uh, I, I mean, it's a really cool looking property that I think even golf fans don't know much about just cause it hadn't been seen. And, uh, it's not one you could just walk up and, uh, yeah. get yourself on uh, with the tea time. So I'm as interested as anybody. It's sort of rustic. It's different. I mean, it, it holes are really close together in spots. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, when they drove me around, uh, they showed me Lionel Richie's house, which sits right <laughs> off one green and the clubhouse would like to be that big. Right. You know, it's just massive. <clears throat> then they did tell me, said right behind those shrubs, there, like the 13th tee, the 14th. He said, that's the playboy mansion, but huh. somebody's bought it and is right. renovating and all that. So landmarks in, uh, yeah. in Los Angeles, but you know, it, I, I, I don't know what to expect there. I know they're limiting. I think they said they sold 9,000 tickets to members, 9,000 corporate tickets and mm. maybe 4,000 general public. So it's going to be very, very small and their places just ride around the cart. And I'll be interested to see at the media thing, how they're going to get people from one place to the other. Cause it's, you know, it's not like at a Augusta or Harbor town or something like that, where you can just walk from one place to another easily. And I believe Angela Moser helped tweak or helped refine some of uh, LACC, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not positive, but it sounds right. Uh, and she's also doing um, the golf course, the 10th course yeah. here. Uh, have you had a chance to go by the property there and see 
uh, what she's been doing? No, I haven't. I've, I've talked about it four or five times. Of course, four-time Doak. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I really want to. anxious to see it. Uh, you know, I think it's great that there's going to be another golf course here and, and his name there. Uh, uh, but yeah, I wanted to come do a story on her and uh, what she's doing down there. And uh, We've tried her to get her on the podcast. And Alex Podlegar, the prolific PR guy with uh, Pinehurst Resort, said, as long as it's not between dawn and dusk, because she is on that tractor moving dirt and shaping that golf course as long as there's daylight. <laughs> so we can give each you at eight o'clock at night. So, uh, but yeah, she's working hard on that. Yeah. And I think <clears throat> I remember talking to Gil Hans when he was doing the cradle and I think being on those bulldozers and stuff, I mean, that's the most fun they have. That's what mm. he said. I get so much like he went out there and, you know, he basically shaped the cradle himself and yeah. he's like, he came in, literally got off a bulldozer, came and had a cup of coffee. And he told me all about it, went back out there. <laughs> I can imagine if you knew how to do it, that would be great fun. Just the imagination. And then, you know, just, really having yourself in the dirt there, bringing something to life that wasn't there. So, uh, you know, I, I've been on that property, the parts of it that was the pit, whatever, years ago. Um, but I, I'm very excited to see it. What do you think about the growth of Pinehurst over the years? I mean, next year we'll have the U.S. Open on number two, 25th anniversary of Payne's uh, amazing historic victory there. Um, the 10th course being added, the USGA second headquarters here, first U.S. Open anchor site. World Golf Hall of Fame coming back. Could you imagine, you know, when you saw Payne Stewart win in 99, that Piners would become even a bigger, globally iconic destination when now, it comes to golf? And what I think is great about it is it is that part of it has grown. And obviously the surroundings have grown too, but <clears throat> I don't think it's lost that small town essence, the, mm -hmm. the sort of the feeling you get. And, yeah. uh, the the village type thing and the there's an embrace you almost get when you when you drive in here and especially when you drive around and see it and, and you know i mean golf is almost literally in the air yeah. i mean and uh you know you hear the church bells you hear this you drive around there's a golf course here there's a golf course there it's just um the usga thing i think is an enormous uh feather in the cap of the area and and i think it's only gonna grow i think it's uh you know what they've done with the resort and making it the anchor site. I mean, it's, you know, it's not like if something's coming, it's what's coming when, right. and, and you just identify it. I mean, that's, you say Pinehurst area and one word comes to mind is golf. Yeah. And, uh, like I had a friend, um, a couple months ago who had been wanting to come here forever, he and his wife, and it never been. And so we came up and spent a weekend showing them around doing stuff. And he was already booked for the fall. He went, <laughs> said, I'm bringing some clients up here and we're going yeah. to go. That's how much he liked it. That's awesome. Well, when I know you love playing at Pinehurst, uh, maybe name your top five courses in the area, not Pinehurst only, but I mean, are there other courses around here as well? What would you say is yeah. your, your five favorite here? Um, <clears throat> well, I have to say the two at country club of North Carolina, cause one of my best friends has a house there and he's always, <laughs> he's get, basically has me a room there. So I go down there when all, as often as I can. Well, I know uh, that those two courses, I'm on the state golf panel. So Dalgrid is just ranked third in the state and Cardinal 16th in the state just hosted the ACC championship, yeah. which Georgia tech just won. So, uh, yeah, both incredible golf courses. Yeah. He's got a house on the 17th hole of the Cardinal course, mm -hmm. which used to be the eighth hole. So his house is called old eight. So, uh, uh, I'm down there a lot. I love pine needles, mid pines, what they've done, what Kelly and him are doing at Southern pines is tremendous. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm trying to think, I haven't gotten up to tobacco road, which I guess is a little out of, 
the way from here. But, uh, you know, I was, I mean, it's been years, but Talamore, I remember going by, shoot, now I'm drawing the blank, the Jack Nicholas golf course out. Uh, Legacy? Yeah, because I remember playing really well and getting to the final holes like, why did he want to do this to us? Because as I recall, it was really, really <laughs> hard. Um, you know, it's just, there's all sorts of places here um, that, you know, I mean, I can go play the cradle and just, yeah, you know, I mean, I have friends who will drive down from Charlotte, have lunch. I mean, play the cradle, have lunch, go put the golf, the thistle, this will do. Yeah. Play the cradle again, have dinner and come back. But you know, you can do that. There's so many, you know, I know you have packages and things like that. And just, uh, my wife loves to come to Southern Pines and mm -hmm. it's sort of Bedford Falls in North Carolina. Yeah. And, uh, just spend time wandering around. I think that's, that's, you know, I'm going to Bandon Dunes later this fall, this summer on a trip, but that is all golf. I mean, Pinehurst is all golf, but with more, Yeah. you know, you're not going shopping in Bandon Dunes unless you're going <laughs> in one of the pro shops. Right. Here you could go out and go eat dinner at all these good places yeah. and, you know, you see the horse tracks and you, you know, all the lake and all those sorts of things. So it's, uh, you know, we play, uh, we play that, what are we going to do game in mm -hmm. three, four five years? Are we going to leave Charlotte? Well, Pinehurst is always the place we talk about. Well, Ron Green Jr., we appreciate your time. This is always a second home for you, Pinehurst. You're always welcome here. Uh, we appreciate your work and all your contributions uh, to the golf industry, uh, to journalism, and congratulations again on your Lifetime Achievement Award from the PGA. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Ryan. Well, you mentioned packages. You can go to homogolf.com to learn more about our packages, or you can go and watch videos of this podcast on our YouTube channel, which is Home of American Golf. And also, if you'd like podcasts, be sure to download Paradise in the Pines. Once again, for Ron Green Jr., I'm Phil Wurz. We'll see you next time. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Appreciate it. I'll put a couple Paradise in the Pines downloads for the ride home. Yes.